Welcome to those of you gathered here in the sanctuary and those joining us at home. We're so grateful that you're here. Come on in and take a seat. Figure out where you're going to sit now that the kiddos are all gone with all of their workers. Um, I read recently about a guy who was going through a fairly difficult time. He lost his job, and in losing his job, he ended up first losing his car, then he lost his house, and things were not looking good for him. But the thing that struck me in this article was this one statement that he made, and it was this. For me, the American dream has become a nightmare. For me, the American dream has become a nightmare. Um, can I let you in on a secret? Not everybody knows this, although I think we probably should by now, but the truth is, God's design for your life is not the American dream. Now think about it for a moment. What is it that you're living for? What is it that your goals, your hopes, your vision for your life? I want to suggest to you, and I am unwilling as a pastor to stand up here and say to you that God's highest for your life is the fulfillment of the American dream, even the American Christian dream, whatever that is. Because I heard that's a new thing out there. Um, the purpose of your life is far greater than that you get a bunch of stuff, get all your toys that you want in life, make all kinds of money, retire and then die. God's purpose is greater than that for your life. In fact, one of the things you're going to discover in life, if you have not already, is that the accumulation, the acquisition of stuff, whether it be your toys that you have to have because they're going to make you happy, or whether it be money, or whether it be status or titles, all of those things never lastingly satisfy. Uh, when I was a kid, um, there was a show on back in the day. It was called Daniel Boone. Any of you guys remember it with Fess Parker? Come on, I'm letting you guys age yourself. Uh, it was a great show. And I was convinced that a coonskin cap and a Daniel Boone rifle would be the fulfillment of my life's dreams. And to my amazement, my parents got it for me. I mean, I was the coolest thing on earth. I can remember wearing it to school. You know, that's back in the day when, you know, it was actually cool to do that kind of thing. And that, that thrill lasted for a little while. And then it slowly wore off. And then I was sure that the next thing would make me happy. I was sure that that little three-speed, high handlebar, banana seat bike would make me happy. And it did until that, Second day I had it, I think I was riding down the road without hands and I hit a pothole in the road and I took a major header and it bent up the frame and it bent up the handlebars and it no longer thrilled me anymore. But over time I matured and I thought, surely the thing that's going to make me happy is to finally get out of high school. If I graduate, I thought that would make me happy and I did. And then I thought, well, next will be college. College will finally satisfy the deepest longings of my heart. No one else in my family had gone to college, so I thought, that'll make me happy. And then I thought, no, what I really need to do is I need to get married. And that'll fulfill all my dreams. And then, maybe kids. Maybe getting kids would make me happy. And then, maybe getting kids to leave would make me happy. 
You know, all those things that we thought would finally satisfy, but what we discovered is none of it truly makes us happy. Not in any lasting way. What we need is not the American dream for our life. What we need is to understand God's vision and purpose for our lives. So, how do I get God's plan for my life? Um, fortunately, there's an entire book in the Bible that actually gives itself to this idea. It's a little book in the Old Testament called Habakkuk. So if you'd like to turn there, Habakkuk is in the Old Testament. The background of this book is that the country of Israel, which is God, God's people, the country of Israel is in chaos for a number of reasons. Uh, they're in an economic recession worse than what we're seeing right now. Uh, they, the people are out of work and they're starving. There's constant conflict among themselves and they be, they're being attacked by outside enemies. And in chapter 1, Habakkuk asks some questions of God that if you're at all honest, if you've lived any length of time at all, I can almost promise you've probably asked God these same questions. He asks God questions like, Why, Lord? Or even more importantly, Why me, Lord? doesn't seem fair. I don't mind that others have their struggles. But why me, Lord? How long? When are you going to finally do something about this, God? Where are you in all of this? Do you even care? So Habakkuk asks all of those kinds of hard questions in the first chapter. And then in the second chapter, Habakkuk takes a breath. And then he says, okay, I've asked my questions. Now I'm going to shut up and just listen for God. And he did exactly that. And the amazing thing is, God actually answers him. God answers him. And tells him that if you will do some things that I'm going to tell you right now, if you will do these things, you will learn what I am doing in your nation, but even more importantly, what I want to do in your life. People have been saying for a while that 2020, and even at least the beginning part of 2021, has been the years from hell. Well, I want to suggest to you that there's a bigger issue at hand than just how well we feel about the times we're living in. The question I want to ask you is, in the midst of what you're dealing with, whether it be lost jobs like this man I said at the beginning, or lost cars, lost houses, in the midst of it all, what is God doing in you? What is God doing inside of you to help fulfill His purpose for your life? Over these last weeks, we've been looking at a short series about how to hear the voice of God, how to discern whether what I'm hearing is actually God or not. I want to continue in that series today, but I want to broaden it to how do I discern God's will for my life, God's vision, His purpose for my life. So Habakkuk chapter 2, again, we're all asked these same kinds of questions. I don't care what age bracket you're in, we ask God questions like, what's next? Now that the kids are grown and graduating, what's next? Now that my kids are getting married and having their own kids, what's next? Now that I'm getting ready to retire, what do I do now? What's my life about now? And Habakkuk comes to this in chapter 2. Look at verse 1. I'm going to, by the way, be reading in a version I don't normally read from, but I really felt like Eugene Peterson captured something of the essence of this. And he says this in verse 1. What's God going to say to my questions? I'm braced for the worst. I'll climb to the lookout tower and scan the horizon. 
I'll wait to see what God says. How He'll answer my complaint. And then God answered. Write this. Write what you see. Write it out in big black letters so that it can be read on the run. This vision message is a witness pointing to what's coming. It aches for the coming. It can hardly wait. And it doesn't lie. If it seems slow in coming, wait. It's on its way. It will come right on time. So, that's the beginning phase. And God begins to show Habakkuk some things that he can do to help him discern God's will for his life. And I want to give them to you. They're just six very short points, but I want to give them to you. Number one, he says you have to first want it. It starts with desire. In the same way that when we talked about how to hear the voice of God, in the same way, how to know the vision or purpose of God for your life starts with you actually wanting it. So, let me ask you honestly, and don't raise your hands, don't answer, but just think. Do you really want God's will for your life? Do you? I know that the natural response among Christians, especially, is to say, yes, of course. But my question is, do you really want it? Or do you want God's will to be what you would like to do? You've already got your plans. You already know what you think would make you happy. And you're just hoping that God's will will align with it. But if it doesn't, oh well. You know that your wants and desires trumps God's will. Habakkuk makes a choice here. He chose to go after it. It says he goes up into his lookout tower. And, and while he's up there, he's not just playing video games. He takes his fancy Zeiss binoculars and he's looking out in the distance. He's searching for it. He wants this more than anything else. This is the priority of his life. God, I need to know what you're doing. I need to know what you're doing in the nation, yes, but I need to know what you're doing in my life. He made it his number one priority. The point is very simply this. You're not going to discover God's will for your life unless you really want it. Unless you go after it. And go after it hard. This isn't like one option among many. This isn't like a, a multiple choice where you get to pick the box that you want. This is where you say, God, your will is my will. Whatever you want is what drives me. We can't treat God's will as something nice if it happens to occur, but if it doesn't, well then, que sera, sera. Uh, nor will God share His will with, with you only to have you discuss its merits. God will only share His purpose for your life, His will for your life, when He knows that that has become the consuming factor of your heart and life. What is God doing in this world? And what is God doing in and through me in this time? When you get that desperate, you're going to hear from God. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29 says this, If you search for God with all your heart and with all your soul, then you will find Him. If and when you search for Him with all your heart and all your soul. So it starts with wanting it. Then the second thing is you've got to withdraw. Number two is withdraw. I've got to have this time alone with God. God isn't going to speak to you clearly, unequivocally, when you've got so much noise in your life. I mean, think about it. You can't hardly get in your car, then the first thing you do is you turn on your radio. Or you turn on the podcast that you're going to listen to. Uh, there's so much going on. You get done with the day. 
You go home, you eat dinner, you go and plop in your chair, and the first thing you do is you turn on the TV. We fill our lives with noise, with busyness of noise. And, and I know that it can be hard sometimes. It's even harder when you've got kids at home. But is it possible that in the same way that if you want to do a workout, you find a way to do it? Is it possible that you can actually find a way to meet with God, spend time alone with God if you really want it? You make time for girls' nights out. You make time to go hunting. You make time to play. How about you actually make some time to withdraw alone with God? Um, Susanna Wesley, some of you will have heard her name. She is the mother of Charles and John Wesley who actually founded Methodism and wrote some amazing hymns. But Susanna Wesley had 16 other children besides Charles and John. She had 18 children naturally. Um, how many of you would guess that it would be hard to have a quiet moment with 18 children running around the house? But Susanna Wesley had this thing that she did every single day. At a certain point in time, every single day, she would go and sit in her favorite rocker. And then she would take her apron and put it over her head. And when the kids saw mom with apron over her head, they knew it meant don't disturb mom. And for that one hour every single day, under her apron, Susanna Wesley would meet with God and she would pray. And Charles and John would say her prayers are what set the focus and purpose of their lives. There's a way to meet with God if we really want it badly enough. Um, I think there's very few people, but there is, again, forgive me, I know that this seems simple, but it's true. Most people don't realize that on your phone, there's a button, a special button the manufacturer put in there. It's actually called the off button. You can push that button and it will turn your phone all the way off, not just to vibrate. And if you turn your phone off, you might actually find you have more time. Turn the news off for a while. Turn the TV off, and you might actually find you have some time to actually meet with God. The Scripture says in Luke 5, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and He prayed. He made it a habit, a part of His daily schedule. Maybe you have a long drive to work. I was talking to Josh this morning, and his drive to work one way is an hour and 15 minutes. That would be a great time to actually meet with God. To actually say, God, every single day, on my way to work and on my way home, I'm going to take time to meet with you. Or maybe you're like me. Maybe you like to walk a little bit or run if some of you guys are in way better shape and are athletes. Maybe that's what you get joy out of. But you can actually meet with God while doing that. You can do laps around the park without having to have a huge party. You can actually walk it alone and meet with God. Or maybe for you, you're like me. Sometimes what I like to do is I get in my car and I just go for a drive. Or I go and I park someplace just to get away from it all in order to meet with God. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and as honestly as you can imagine. The focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense His grace. Most of you are aware that years ago, my wife and I made the decision to establish Mondays as our date, date day, date night. Uh, and so 
we will go out. When we first started this, we didn't have hardly any money. And I can remember, we would go to McDonald's and we would buy a drink for a quarter. We would go to McDonald's, buy a drink for a quarter, and we would share it because that's all we could afford. But we would sit in our car and we would talk. Sometimes, we actually, we sat in our car and we didn't talk because we were unhappy with each other. But we spent time together. And we are still doing this, though it has now been almost 40 years of doing this. We still spend time on Mondays. And we don't let other things intrude in. Do you think God might love it if you actually set a date time with Him? To actually say, God, I want time with you. I want to meet with you. I want to know your presence. I want to know your purpose and will for my life. Jeremiah 33.3 says this, Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. You're not going to get this from your horoscope. You're not going to get it from your financial advisor or from the news. Only God really knows the future and knows your future in particular. Maybe it would do us well to spend time with God. So we have to have desire. We have to start with want. Then we have to withdraw, make time with God. And then finally, number three, we have to wait. Wait. I want, I withdraw, I wait. Or as uh, a movie that I saw years ago, I can't even remember what, oh yeah, I do. It's Feel the Dreams. Feel the Dreams, I think is the name of it. Um, There's a line in the movie in which it says, if you build it, he will come. Maybe if you actually build time set aside for God and you wait for him, is it possible God might actually come? In fact, I believe God is more concerned about meeting with you than you are with meeting with him. Because he's the one we sang about this morning who gave his heart and his life for you. I believe hurry is the death of intimacy. It kills the ability of us to be able to actually have time with God. If you build into your life time to wait for God, I believe God will come and he will meet with you. People used to talk about having quantity Quality time versus quantity time. That was a big thing back in the 70s. It's like all these people were so busy ministering for God, but we wanted quality time with our kids, not quantity time. Well, I want to suggest to you, one of the things that we discovered is you don't get quality time unless you have some quantity time. You have to build it into the relationship in order for it to work. When we hurry, we seem to believe that we're indispensable to whatever's going on. We're the crucial aspect and not God. There's almost a sense of arrogance to it, like the world is waiting on me. If I don't answer this email, the world will fall apart. I, I got to confess, you know, I, I will often go down to my office and I will say, okay, I'm not going to look at Facebook. I'm not going to open up my email. I'm going to do nothing until I've had some time with God. And I'll open up the Word, I'll read the Word, I'll start praying. And you know, almost without thinking. It's so almost inbred sometimes. Without even thinking, I will find myself clicking on that button. Have you ever done that? It's like you purpose to set time and to wait on God, and it's like you fall into these, well, we have to keep battling. So I click on it. I say, what am I doing? And I click it off, and I take my phone, and I put it over there in order that I don't waste time that I have set waiting on God. Habakkuk says, I will wait, or I will station myself. When you're in the military and you're stationed somewhere, you don't just get up and leave because you're getting bored. You stay there until you get other orders. I was watching uh, TV recently, the funeral of Prince uh, Albert, Prince Philip, I'm sorry, Prince Philip. And one of the things I noticed is that they had the guards stationed at the Buckingham Palace. And Karen and I were over there one time years ago, and we saw the changing of the guards. And one of the cool things to watch is these guys are not distracted by anything. 
we watched people go up to them and make faces at them and do weird things to try to get them to smile or to break character. But they stood at attention and they did not react at all because they were stationed. They were there on lookout. And so that's what God basically says to us. He says, he went up into the lookout tower and he was stationed there. He said, I stationed myself. They were focused. So one of the things that I have found that helps me, and this is just for me, maybe you'll have something else, but one of the things that I have found that helps me be able to wait on God to get in position for it is I get into a comfortable chair. I'm not talking about my easy chair. I'm not talking about some other kind of stiff, hardback chair. I get in a comfortable chair, maybe like a chair like this. And I've done it before here in the sanctuary. And I sit myself comfortably, and then I just pause for a minute, and I take some deep cleansing breaths. Now, when I do that, I'm not doing something new agey. I'm not trying to be weird about it. But I recognize that the poison of this world seeps into us without us even realizing it. I can incorporate attitudes and mindsets that I don't want. And so I breathe. And when I breathe, the first thing I do is I breathe out. And in breathing out, I'm consciously thinking to myself, I'm breathing out all the junk, all the lies that have actually penetrated my life in any way. I breathe them out. And then I breathe in deeply. And when I breathe in, I remember that one of the words for the Trinity is Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit actually comes from the word breath. So as I breathe in, I'm breathing in the very breath of God. And I think about that. I think about God actually doing CPR on me. I have that thought in my mind. God, as I breathe out, junk goes out. As I breathe in, you come in. And I wait on Him to hear His voice. And I'm amazed. I'm amazed at how many times God actually does come and meet with me. And He speaks to me about what He has. I know that that works for me. Maybe you need to find something that works for you to allow you to have time where you can wait on God. Uh, when I finally get to a point where I feel like my spirit and my soul have settled down, I'll start to talk to God. I'll tell Him what's going on in my life. I'll tell Him things I'm concerned about, often in my family, different things are going on that I get concerned about. Talk about my extended family, my friends. I talk to Him about the church. Talk to Him about me a lot. I know God already knows it all, but isn't that the nature of relationship is that you still share those kinds of things? I share with him things I'm happy about, things that are going really well, and I thank God for that. And almost always it ends with a sense of worship in my heart because I can sense the presence of God. Which brings me to Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40 says, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. I'm not getting any younger. I, I, I thought life was tough back in my 40s and 50s. Get into your 60s, it gets a little bit harder, and some of you out here are a little bit older, and you're saying to me, just wait. But he says those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. And I believe God for that. David said in Psalm 62, I wait quietly before God because my hope is in Him. And then in Psalm 105, he said, I wait expectantly, trusting God to help, for He has provided. God has promised to talk to you, to share with you, his life plan, but you've got to wait for him. Which brings me to number four, watch. Watch. Habakkuk 2.1. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me. Let me read it again. I will watch to see what he will say. He didn't say, I will listen to hear. He said, I will watch to see. Because most often, when God speaks to us, he speaks to us in word pictures. 
He gives us images that we can grab hold of, much like Jesus loved to teach by parables. That truth, by the way, is repeated in the New Testament in Revelation 1.12, where John says, I turned to see the voice of Him who spoke to me. I turned to see the voice. There are times when God speaks clearly, when it's almost like a verbal word. It's almost like, I've had people say to me, God actually writes it out for me in the air. Well, that's fine. That's good. But for a lot of people, even the saints in the Bible, God spoke to them by word picture. You can't read Ezekiel or Zechariah without seeing word picture after God says to Zechariah, what do you see? And Zechariah says, I see a big loaf of bread. And God says, let me tell you what that means. Because he knew that somehow that would capture our attention more. Speaks in word pictures. Uh, we have a song that we used to sing that captured that. We would say, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. Probably one of the people that I think of most often who is gifted in this is my wife, Karen. I can't tell you how many times when she goes to pray for people, the first thing that happens is she begins to see pictures. And when she sees the pictures, she shares the pictures with the person we're praying for and almost invariably they talk about how that picture has such an impact because it relates back to something else that they're dealing with. God shares His life with us often with pictures. Does God speak verbally? Yes, I believe He can. But I think more often than not, He gives us impressions, He gives us thoughts, feelings, and pictures that we can do. If you're waiting from God to thunder from heaven, I think you're going to miss hearing the voice of God because usually He comes in a whisper and He speaks to you about things that you can understand. The point of this is to wait with expectancy, to believe that God is actually going to speak to you. Um, I had a friend, uh, a pastor friend. Um, actually, he, he's a minister, but I don't think he was pastoring at the time. I think he was just traveling, ministering, and he was asked to go and speak at a church. So he pulled up in his car, and he had, just, he had agonized over the message. He hadn't been feeling good about it at all, I know that all of you guys think, you know, pastors should know exactly what God once said, but there are times when you get up here and you feel like, God, I hope this is right. I'm going to do the best I know how, but I just hope it's right. Well, he sat in his car instead of going into the church. He sat in his car agonizing, praying, God, I need your help. I don't feel like this is going to hit the mark. I feel like I'm missing it somehow. And as he's praying, marching in front of him were three large geese with a bunch of little geese babies following behind. And as he's watching this happen, he's still crying out to God. All of a sudden, he felt like God spoke to his heart and said, what you see in front of you is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit leading his people, and I'll lead you the same as I'm leading them. Now, I'm not suggesting that every time you see a goose, it's God, but I am suggesting that God can actually speak to you through the things that you see around you. Maybe it might be a sunset, and God speaks to you. I love lightning storms. I I love to sit out and watch lightning storms across this hill. And I often will sense God's power and His presence even in it. Maybe God speaks to you with the things around you. Maybe you're just out driving and you see something. God gives you a word. God loves to communicate with us. The fifth thing, very quickly, just to finish this out, is write. Write it down. That's what he says. He says, you need to write it down. Write these things down for the future so that the people who are not yet born will praise the Lord. We we just heard it. One generation will praise God's faithfulness to another generation. Uh, I can't tell you, I've mentioned this before, but I can't tell you how many times as I'm laying in bed, about to fall asleep, God will speak to me. And God has spoken to me in a couple of distant ways. He he has told me things like, 
this would be a great illustration for your message on Sunday. And I'll think, I've never thought of that before. That's wonderful. Or sometimes, and this has happened more often than I even could have imagined in the past, God will actually give me a sermon that I preach in my mind as I'm laying in bed. And I'll preach through the whole sermon. And I'll be excited by the time I get to the end of it. And I'll think, I'll remember it tomorrow morning. And I don't remember a word of it. Because I'm too lazy to get up out of bed and write it down. i got to tell you, a short pencil is still longer than my memory and yours. So I want to encourage you. Write it down. Maybe for you, you're like me. I, I'm not a big journal person. Like I watch Jean up here and she writes everything down. And I think that's an amazing gift, how people take notes and actually keep track of it all. And she'll go back to old ones and remind me of things I said. Sometimes when people said, by the way, you said, inside I'm tightening up because I'm thinking, uh-oh, what did I say that you're going to hold against me? But I mean, not Jean. Jean's taking notes and she keeps track of it all. I think that's wonderful. That's just, I've tried it and I'll do it for a day or two or a week and then it's done and I have it sitting on my headboard or whatever. But what I have found that helps me is I found there's this handy tool on my phone. God actually can redeem technology. It's called Siri. And I speak to Siri. And I tell her, I want you to record what I'm going to say. And I'll record thoughts that God gives me. And I will save them and be able to use them at another time. Write down what God is saying to you. And finally, number six. Habakkuk 3.2, O Lord, now I have heard your report, and I worship you in awe. Number six is worship. I have found that when you take time to wait, to watch, to listen, when God shows up and you have a sense of his presence, there is nothing less that you can do than to worship him. I mean, that's kind of what started to happen here this morning, isn't it? In the middle of us singing songs, because you do realize songs are not worship. Songs are just songs. You could sing... uh, Orange Blossom Special. That's a song. Where did that come from? It's from my dad's old days in the Country Western Band. Uh, You could sing any song and it doesn't make it worship. It's only worship if something changes inside of your heart and the presence of God comes. So as we're singing songs this morning, all of a sudden the truth of what we're singing begins to grip our heart. We begin to get excited and God loves when we love on Him. And He begins to show up in power. Our only response that's appropriate is worship. Job, throughout the whole book, is asking God all kinds of questions. God, you've got to explain yourself. And when God finally shows up, and God does speak to Job, Job covers his mouth and says, I've heard of you with the hearing of my ears, but now my eyes have seen you, and I worship you. Worship is the correct response. Now, I don't want to convey the idea. I don't want anybody to think that every time I pray, I hear God. I don't. There are times when I wait on God and I wait on God and I hear nothing. Nothing at all. But I do it anyways. I do it again and again because I never know what moment in time God will choose to show up in power and say something that will change my life forever. Um, You guys are, in my opinion, you young parents are much better at it than I was. I was so driven to get my kids raised and to be good citizens of the community and the world. I I was driven for that. But I I watch you guys. You guys post the funny things they say, the funny things they do on Facebook, and I think they're all great. I really do. But what you're really doing is in that moment, you have an eye to see what's happening. You pick up on it. And I want to say to you, that's what we want to do with God. We want to wait and be sensitive to what God might be doing, what He might be saying, what He might be showing us. 
My question to you this morning is, have you been making time and have you been taking time to wait on God, to hear God's voice? Would you stand with me? Uh, I play a little bit of golf. I'm a hack. I'm no good at it. I know it. But every once in a while, you have a bad hole. Any of you guys golf? You have a really bad hole and you're ready to throw your clubs away and just say, forget the whole thing. And then the next hole, you get up and you hit a drive that goes 300 yards straight down the middle. You hadn't seen the middle of the fairway forever. But there it is. You can actually see your ball from the tee. And that's what causes you to come back for more. Well, I want to suggest to you that when God shows up in your time of waiting, it will constantly draw you back for more. Would you bow your heads with me? And I want you to ask yourself honestly, do you want the will of God for your life? Is that just a passing thought for you, or is this your priority? I want God to do in me and through me whatever he wants. I want to do what will please God. Is God's will the driving factor of your life? Do you want to know it? And then, are you making time for God to actually share his heart for you? Are you making time and taking the time to actually meet with God? Why not start now? Why not for the second half of 2021, forget what's gone before, say, God, I want to use the rest of this year well. There's no judgment here at all because we're all in the same boat. We're all human. We're all frail. But God, I want the rest of this year, I want to be seeking you. I don't want to be wasting time just walking. I want to walk with purpose. I want to meet with you. Years ago, one of my teachers at Elam said, whenever there's an altar call, I don't care what it is, you ought to respond. For no other reason, you say, God, who knows, but that you might want to speak to me. And I want to be in a position where I hear from you. So what I want to do is ask uh, John and the worship team if they want to come back up. And I'm going to invite you. We haven't done this in quite some time because of some of the restrictions that had been placed upon us, but they are lifted and we're grateful for that. But I want to invite you to take some time at the altar just to say to God, honestly, God, I need you. I need your purpose. I need what you have for me. So I want to open the altar as the worship team just does whatever song they feel is appropriate in the Lord. I want to open the altar to you. I'm going to pray. I'm going to dismiss. If you need to leave, uh, I'd say please leave, but leave quietly. We'll close those doors so that it stays quiet. Keep the talking out there quiet. But I want to encourage you. Be responsive to the Lord. Don't just hear a word. Respond to the word. Be doers of the word, not just hearers of it. Say, God, that's what I need. I need to meet with you. I, I don't want to just live my life hoping for every once in a great while. I want to believe that I can walk through life aware of your presence. Brother Lawrence wrote a book years ago. He was a uh, Benedictine monk, I believe. And he wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of the Lord. Practice it. We can get better at it. So I open the altar to you as the worship leads us. Let me pray for you. Father, Thank you for each one that is here. Lord, uh, I'm going to believe that with me, 
their heart is that we would learn your purpose, your vision for our lives and that we would go hard after that. We set aside this time, Father, to seek your face and to know your good pleasure. We bless you, Father, for those times when you have come and you have spoken to us and we've been undone. We've wept in your presence just because we cannot believe how amazing it is that the living God actually comes and meets with us. That you chose me. You loved me before I ever knew you. You came and you revealed yourself to me and you saved me. But that wasn't it. You have continued to walk with me. And yes, to talk with me. Lord, that's what I want. And I want more of that. I want more of that, Jesus. I want our services when we come together, not just to be to come and to do the religious thing, Lord. We want you to come and invade us. And where there's any hesitancy or any delay on our part, Father, we're saying up front with soundness of mind, we don't care about that. We care about you. You come. Take over in this house, Father. Do that which will bring bring glory to You. Reveal Yourself to us. And we open our hearts to You afresh. In the name of Christ, Amen. Again, if you need to leave, I'd ask that you do that quietly, but the altar is open. I'd encourage you, just respond uh, and say, Lord, that's what I want.